This is Radio 4.2. 4.2? Yes, we've added on an extra 5%, at no additional cost. Now there's value for the licence fee. Continuity, a programme's introduced while you wait. No, you want country file. They're the number directly underneath us in the directory. We get a lot of their calls. You're welcome. It's the John Dredge Nothing To Do With Anything show. Hello, fans, and welcome to another... Good heavens, it's agricultural singer-songwriter Farmer Collins. How do, John? How do? And in that order. It's always a pleasure to see you, Farmer Collins, but must you always come crashing through the studio wall on a tractor? It's proving rather expensive. Sorry, John. Next time we'll use a combine harvester. Lovely. So what brings you here today? Well, being a regular character, I thought I'd better turn up at some point, so you could ask me what I've been doing since the last series. And what have you been doing? Oh, you've been practising farmyard impressions, John. Would you like to hear one? Not particularly. There we go, John. My impression of a farmyard in Leighton Buzzard. It's as if I was actually there. It's that realistic. If you thought that was good, wait until you hear this. Now that was my impression of a farmyard in Egypt. Enough of these farmyards in Egypt. I hope your new hobby hasn't had a detrimental effect on your songwriting. Not at all, John. In fact, it has inspired an agricultural piece that I'd like to premiere here today with the help of my newly formed Farmer Collins Orchestra. How do, lads? You've got your own orchestra. Arr. They've been helping me experiment with things like melodies, keys and time signatures, which you'll no doubt spot, what with your formal musical education and two-track porter studio. Right-o, everyone, here we go. And one, two, three, one, two, three. Down on the farm, it's just the same as usual. Nothing much is happening, to be completely frank. Having said that, though the goats are getting stranger, one in particular started playing golf. Clubs, teas, caddies, trees, bonkers. I thought you said it hadn't had a detrimental effect on your songwriting. Has, hasn't. These are fine lines we're talking about, John. Well, despite all that, we've a letter addressed to you from a Mr Colin Holt of Nottingham, who says, Dear Farmer Collins, I'm thinking of writing some compost-based compositions rather like yourself. What would you say to someone who was starting out in your field? Well, Colin, I guess I'd say something like, Stop trespassing on my field, you flaming Tony! Farmer Collins there, a man without whom there would have been a small gap in the programme. And staying with listeners' letters and emails, it's now time for more of your correspondence in this week's Dear Dredge. Ah, that tune brings back memories. All of them bad. Not to worry, we start with an email from Basil... No, I can't read that at all who writes, Dear Dredge, I'm going for a job interview on Monday and I'm absolutely bricking it. Do you have any advice? Well, Mr. No, I can't read that at all. Look no further as we present the Dear Dredge Top 3 Job Interview Tips. Tip number one. Find out where the interview is due to take place. 
If you don't know, it will be very difficult to get there on the day. Once you know the location, do a practice run. If a practice run is impossible, a practice walk is better than no practice at all. Tip number two. Be prepared. Take your own table and chair in case they are not provided by your prospective employer. Feel free to take along a newspaper to read during any unnecessarily long questions. A packet of Monster Munch may also prove useful for the same reason, but don't forget to offer them round. Tip number three. Make a confident first impression. March up to the interviewing panel claiming you are of royal stock, stand on the table and shout, Victory is mine! Then salute smartly and fall over sideways onto the floor. This will show you have a sense of humour. Tip number four. Which part of the title Top 3 Job Interview Tips Did You Not Understand? Who do you think I am, Stephen Hawking? I should take you back to Tandy's for a refund. Anyway, Basil, all of us here wish you the very best of luck with your job interview and hope our tips were of some help. If they weren't, then I can only suggest you... Well, I'm sorry to say there seems to be a fault in the transmission of this week's Nothing to Do With Anything show, but rest assured that we're doing everything we can to return you to the programme. In the meantime, here's some silence. Once again, our sincerest apologies for the lengthy break in transmission. We do hope to return you to the programme very shortly, but until then, here's some more silence. Well, rather unbelievably, we now seem to be having a few problems in bringing you silence. Until we can sort that out, here's some music. It seems we're even having difficulty in bringing you the music, so we'll continue for now with this tone, and hopefully we... Ah. It seems the tone generator has given up the ghost. <laughs> so, so let me read some programme highlights from this week's Radio Times instead. Oh, it seems we only have last week's Radio Times. Ah, this will probably be someone telling me where this week's copy is. Oh, unfortunately... The telephone has exploded. So perhaps I should just go ahead and read from last week's Radio Times and be done with it. Well, at half past ten last Thursday, the nine o'clock news was read by Kenneth Ken Unfortunately, we're unable to continue with our regular announcer because she has spontaneously combusted. And as the only copy of the Radio Times we have has been burned to a crisp, I shall instead read to you the first chapter of Leo Tolstoy's War and Peace. It was the best of times, it was the worst of... Oh, I don't believe it. Someone's put the book jacket of War and Peace on a copy of Great Expectations. I bet it's those snotty little urchins in the book at bedtime office. Really, I've a good mind to go over there, lift one of them up by his ears and just... Yes, yes, I see. Yes, I see. Yes, I see. Yes, right. 
Well, there's no need for that. I've just been informed that the glue being used to put this week's Nothing To Do With Anything show back together again is taking longer to dry than expected. So for the time being, here's Cliff Mitchellmore with another edition of Holiday 74. Trip Advisor! Holiday lovers, amateur critic and trip advisor expert Peter Pillbeam here once again with another hotel review. This week I've been staying at the Three Pillars Hotel in Worst Tertiary, which for some reason the locals insist on pronouncing Worcestershire. On entering my room, I opened the curtains and was shocked to find a great big hole in the wall. Upon complaining, I was informed that it was actually a window. I admit there was a pane of glass covering the space, but in my view that was just there to hide the hole. I summoned the manager to my room to tell him as much and also to convey my annoyance at the lack of water coming out of the taps in the bathroom. When he told me they had to be turned on first, I admonished him for the lack of instructions on display. The bathroom was sparsely furnished with no sofas or armchairs, although there was a slip mat in the bath itself. I remember that because later that evening I slipped on it. Yes, I was wearing roller skates at the time, but I'd just come back from trying to get into a nearby roller disco and was too tired to take them off. The Three Pillars publicity makes much of the hotel's spacious dining area, but on sitting down for my first evening meal, I discovered this claim to be wildly inaccurate because the room was full of people. When I asked the manager to move the other diners to another room to alleviate my claustrophobia, my request was met with thinly disguised scorn. Gathering my wits, I called over a waiter who greeted me by saying, Good evening, sir, which I considered a little over-familiar. Nevertheless, I ordered the chicken, which finally arrived after an unacceptable delay of nearly four minutes. No sooner had I started my meal than I noticed a massive stain on one of the dining room walls. I promptly called the waiter back over, only to be curtly told that the stain on the wall was solely the result of my decision to throw the chicken directly at it. I pointed out that I had only done so because the chicken was undercooked and suggested that the stain should have been cleaned up with greater efficacy. But that wasn't all. Even though I had mentioned upon checking in that I would be celebrating my birthday some three months hence, no birthday cake was forthcoming. I did eventually manage to persuade the staff to sing Happy Birthday, but their performance seemed lacklustre and lacking in rhythm and tonality. Tired and emotional, I retired to bed, only to be woken up in the middle of the night by the sound of a loud, piercing alarm. I later received a stern lecture from a self-appointed warden who told me that the alarm had been triggered by the bonfire I'd started in my room. But was it my fault I was too cold? The following morning, as I made my way to breakfast along an uncomfortably narrow corridor, I saw a cleaner approaching with her trolley. Situations such as this frequently caused me to suffer panic attacks, but luckily I remembered my psychiatrist's advice to lie flat on the floor in moments of extreme mental turbulence. In spite of this, and with no thought for my well-being, the cleaner ran her trolley right over me, causing abrasions to the upper and lower patella in both of my legs. I promptly informed the manager of my intention to raise the three pillars health and safety shortcomings with the appropriate authorities, as well as the Lord Chamberlain and Postmaster General. He appeared to take great exception to this as he started to beat me about the head with a rolling pin. So much for the welcoming atmosphere I'd read so much about. And that's why the three pillars gets no stars from me. 
Join me next time when I'll be reviewing the private rooms and liquidised food on offer at the worst tertiary Royal Hospital. Thank you. seen a herd of buffaloes anywhere, have you? Herd of buffalo, Tom. You know I can't stand no incorrect grammar. <laughs> Sorry, darling. They probably went out through the buffalo flap. Oh, dear. That means they could be anywhere. I can hardly leave for work without them, can I? What are we going to do? Why don't we use the new K-Tel buffalo cater? Oh. Simply switch it on and... They're in the garden, Tom. Oh, of course. I remember. I let them out before I restitched the tea bags. <laughs> oh, there they The KTEL Buffalo Cater. Just $9.99 from Woolworth, Fine Fair, B Jam, CNA, Dickens and Jones, and many other defunct high street stores. Now then, where's the mop? I do beg your pardon. Must have been the fajitas. Metro Goldwyn Jacoby and Myers proudly presents the story of an ex-con chauffeur and butler from East London, driven back into the clutches of the underworld by his desire for vengeance. Get Parker. I shan't ask you again. Who killed me lady? Aloysius Parker. Out for revenge after discovering Lady Penelope lying on the back seat of her Rolls Royce with her strings cut. It's a diabolical liberty. A man with a heart of stone and a head of wood. And the only hitman ever to be named after a type of anorak. Not a lot of people know that. There's only one law in the marionette jungle of murder. I wonder what it is. I don't like it when some tough nut comes pushing his way in and out of my house in the middle of the night. You're a big man, but you're in bad shape. With me, it's a full-time job. Look at you. You're not even fit enough to run a corner shop in Manchester. Filmed in Super Alienation and Newcastle. Pint of bitter shandy. In a thin glass. Had a way, you wazzock. Get Parker. A film from Mike Hodges and Jerry Anderson. Goodbye, Herrick! Get Parker before Parker gets you. Okay, uh, so you want me to say uh, this is Robert De Niro and you're listening to John Dredge. Okay, but but what is my motivation for saying that? I mean, I could say that uh, in a hundred different ways. Uh, you know, I'm thinking we should, we should do a hundred different takes. A hundred different takes. Huh? Okay. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. Okay? Alright. Alright, I'm just gonna say it. Okay, you ready now? Because I'm just gonna do this in one take. One take. This is John De Niro, but you're listening to Robert Dredge. How was that? Time.
time once again to visit one of Britain's smaller villages in the part of the show we like to call Where Are We Meant To Be Now? Judging from your emails, you like to call it something altogether less charitable, but there we are. Joining me this week is actor, thespian, and, it seems, the new co-host of Where Are We Meant To Be Now? Even though I had no say in the matter, Greg Haste. Hello, dear boy, and to your listeners as well, in fact. Testing, testing the microphone, one, two, three, or if you're Ted Rogers, three, two, one. You're not Ted Rogers, are you, John? This week, Greg and I are in the charming village of Narden-on-Sea. Sorry, John. Could I just give my new play a quick plug? I'm appearing in Don't Drink the Armchairs at the Oh No Theatre Clacton. Tickets are available on the door, under the mat and behind the flower pot. Yes, well, let's see if we can talk to one or two of the locals before we're moved along. In fact, here comes someone who looks very local indeed. Hello, sir. Uh, can I ask how long you've lived here in Narden-on-Sea? Yes, and have you seen my play? Hey, Have you seen my play? Well, uh, I don't know what you want me to say, but... I'm an actor, you know. Hey, I am an actor! Oh. I've not seen many of them round these parts in all my days, and I've lived here nigh on 85 years, man and boy. Or was it the other way round? 85 years, we got there in the end. Tell me, why have you chosen to stay in a place like this for 85 years? Yes, and when will you be able to see my new play? You're an actor, you say? Ah, I knew you'd recognise me eventually. Who are you playing now? Eh? Who are you playing now? Well, uh... Myself, I suppose. Not very good at it, are you? I beg your pardon. I thought you were someone else. Well, uh, I'm often mistaken for Donald Sindon. I can see the resemblance. Well, that's very kind of you. You look just as dead as he is. How dare you bite your thumb at us, sir? I've a good mind to call the Greg Haste fan club and have him deal with you, you half-witted... Half-wit! Hey? You're a half-wit! And, and, and a jumped-up, run-down, fishy-faced, mahogany, pipsqueak of a cad! It's a good job I can't hear a word you're saying or there'd be trouble. Yes, well, I think we should leave it there before this escalates into something more violent, as the show has only been given a PG certificate. But thank you very much for talking to us. You're welcome, John. In Sheffield Town Hall, three members of the greatest electronic pop group of the 80s have formed the world's most synthesized team of superheroes, the Human League of Justice. Their mission, to defeat injustice, right wrongs, and sustain a 30-year career on the back of one good album. Tonight's episode, The Search for Susan. Well, it's not so much a search, she just sort of reappears, but that's not as snappy an episode title, is it? Well, Joanne, that's the backing track for our new song in the can. Yes, I'm sorry for accidentally flushing it down the lavatory. It won't happen again. You said that last time. But, you know, even though it's useful to have you here in the studio doing nothing, I have to say, I really miss Susan hanging around doing nothing as well. It's the Lego phone. 
Thank you for calling the Human League of Justice. My name's Phil, you're on speakerphone, and your call is being recorded for training purposes. How can I help? Good evening, Mr. Oki. It's our old archenemy, Newman. I'd know that monotonous voice anywhere. You can talk. Yes, this This is Phil talking, but what do you want when you're at home? I wanted to warn you that me and my Tubeway army are intending to strike. What do you mean, strike? No sane person will ever pay you more money for the rubbish you put out. It's not about money. I've simply had enough of my plans for child domination being ruined by you geriatric electro-pensioners. So we're planning to hit the road at exactly the same time as your next tour. You mean... Yes, we're going to steal your fan base from under your very noses. He's gone berserk, Joanne. Even more berserker than before. You're telling me? I'm not even sure we still have a fan base. For heaven's seventeen's sake, new man, you know you can't win. While you're whining about isolation and getting people to stay in their cars, we're inviting people to open their hearts. They'll always prefer our melodic style to your tuneless dirge. Maybe so, but you might have to reconsider your options when you learn the identity of my new backing singer. I will obey! I will obey! Leaping Lindrums! He's got Susan! Yeah, and she's on a weekly wage! What have you done to her, you gothic monstrosity? He's turned her into a humanoid, an obsessive worshipper who will do anything he commands! Precisely, Joanne. Together we will rule the pop world and turn it into a nihilistic, emotionless void. No change there, then! Wait, I've got an idea. We'll infiltrate the Shoeboy army by disguising ourselves as Numenoids. We'll dress in black, wear pale foundation and bad eyeliner, and dye our hair blue. But what if we get caught? We'll never play a sold-out venue again! What do you mean, again? I can still hear you, you know. Does Susan's defection mean do or die for our daringly dated duo? Could this be the end for their catchy computerized pop perfection? Or are they going to put out another Greatest Hits compilation and hope for the best? Who are Heaven 17? Where is Martin? Are Friends Electric? In what year was the Human League's one good album released? Was it A, 1981, B, 1982, or C, none of the above is correct? out in the next nerve-numbing new romantic episode, or failing that, page 31 of the current issue of Smash Hits. Time now for Old Bits of Bark, our regular tree-based feature with Dr. Leonard Sapling. Dr. Sapling, why, if I haven't been interrupted by our old friend, if that's not too strong a term, avant-garde filmmaker David Lynch. Spare any change, John. I am utterly skint. S-K-I-N-T, pronounced... Oh dear, what are you going to do about it, David? I'm considering a change of career, John. I've heard there's a lot of money to be made in presenting Saturday morning children's television shows. In fact, to prove my abilities, I now present my own interpretation of Multicoloured Swap Shop. Swap Shop. Swap Shop. 
children everywhere. Or at the very least, the three of you not watching Tis Was. As usual, Keith Chegwin is with our outside broadcast unit. Sorry, that should read with our outside broadcast unit. The Cheggers, where the Philbin are you? Hello, David. I'm at the Leighton Buzzard Cricket Ground and Mortuary. Why? I've no idea. Tell me, Keith, is there anything you'd like to swap? Well, for a kickoff, I'd like to swap being outdoors in the freezing cold for your job in a nice warm studio. That's enough of that. Go and play some pop, I say. Look, David, nobody in their right mind would consider relaunching Swap Shop now that we're in the internet age with eBay and FreeCycle and what have you.com. You need to get more up to date with what's happening. Ah, you mean Saturday Superstore? No, I don't mean Saturday Superstore. Going, going, going live. I haven't got time for this. Get fresh! Look, we're nearing the end of the show, so if you've got the weather to hand, why don't you just... Well, apologies once again. A technical fault seems to have affected our ability to bring you the end of the programme, which potentially means that it could go on indefinitely. Obviously, that's something none of us wants, so we're doing everything we can to return you to the Nothing to Do with Anything show, which was written and performed by John Dredge and the producer Richard Cray, along with Greg Haste, Anna Emerson, Max Dowler, Anil Desai... Will Franken, James Shakeshaft, Miles Eady, Katie Slater, and special guest Monty Modlin, who performed the call to prayer. Now, it looks as though the problems have been resolved, so we can finally bring you, as promised, the end of this week's Nothing to Do with Anything show.